morning. Good morning, Life Spring. Thank you, Braden. And I say that to you whether you are here physically or whether you are online joining us. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I want you all to know that I had my message completely finished, done, on Wednesday of this week. Yeah. 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 Uh, you, you don't know what that means. That's a new personal best for me. Because usually it's Saturday night and leaking into Sunday morning, and I'm usually in the corner with a pen, scratching out and trying to handwrite something else that I can't read when I actually do the presentation of the message. So, so Wednesday was a, a earth-shattering record for me. Uh, and then God wakes me up in the middle of the night on Wednesday after I go to sleep, and he wants to have a discussion. And I, I call them midnight discussions because... That's when he likes to speak to me. And I kind of view these as courtroom experiences with God, where I'm making my points and he's making his. And i got to tell you, sometimes I think I make some really compelling points. I mean, I really think I got him, you know. Like, your honor, what my opponent God is trying to say is, and then I make my point. Um, but needless to say, I've never actually won any of those cases. Um, so the bottom line, the, the long and short of all of this is that uh, my whole message had to be changed. So what I had written, what I loved, what I thought was perfect and hilarious and et cetera, I threw out the window. Um, but God get, taught me a couple of things through that whole discussion that went from Wednesday into early Thursday morning. Uh, he, he, he gave me some really good points that I wanted to share with you this morning. And, and the first one is this. Uh, the first one is that with respect to preparation for the message that I had to learn and relearn and re-relearn that I can't just jump into something and do it. I have this sort of anxiety about me that when I have to do something, I just go and do it. I just got to get it done. So if there's a message I have to prepare, I just go and do it. And God taught me that maybe I need to take a step back, that I need to take a step back and actually seek Him and seek His will in whatever I do. And that has to do with whether I read my Bible in the morning, whether I prepare a message for him, or whether I go out into the world. Lord, what do you have for me as I walk out this door? And who do I need to see? And who do I need to hear from? And who do I need to talk to today? Who do I need to represent you in front of? So I need to ask Lord, the Lord every morning what he has for me that day. So I'd like to do that right now with you. You know how we pray right before a message? I would like to do that right now, but I don't want to make it a routine. I, I want to pray with you that our hearts would be open to what he has to say today. Because I could have screwed up the second message as well. But I know that I'm reading his words today. So, so even if I screwed it up, I know that his words are, are going to speak to you and speak to us if our hearts are open to hearing what he has to say to us. So can we pray together? Can we pray that specifically? Father God, thank you for this morning, Lord. Thank you for your words of encouragement, Lord. Thank you for your word that never fails us, Father. Thank you, Lord, that even though we may fail, Father God, your word never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That it's the rock. That if somebody hears this recording ten years from now, your words aren't going to change. My references might change. My jokes might not be funny anymore. But your word, Father God, it doesn't change. So open our hearts to, hearing what, to hear what you have to say to each one of us. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And the second thing that he told me was this, that it's not my message, it's his message. 
and then I have to deliver it. I have to deliver his message. But guess what? So do you. It's for all of us to deliver his message. And you may say, well, I'm not a preacher or I'm not a speaker or I'm not a trained person that can get up there and deliver a message. Yeah, you are. And yeah, you can. Because God sends us out there every day to deliver his message. And Linda, that was a perfect reminder. Most of those messages people gave you probably didn't come from up here. They probably came from standing right next to you and putting their arm around you. That's the message that we have to bring. And it might be right here. It might be across the street. It might be around the world. The best message I actually heard in a long time was last week when we heard about all of those testimonies from Oregon. And you knew as they talked, you knew there was more and more and more they wanted to share with you. And I happened to be blessed enough to be married to someone who went on that trip. So I got to hear a lot more stories. And I got to see a lot more pictures. And the one that really hit me was this picture right here. I kept going back to it. It's a food truck. And I know nothing about food trucks. But I had to ask myself, how long does it take to turn off the oven, stow stuff away, batten up the hatches, and drive away? However long that takes, it wasn't long enough for this person to get out. And what do you say to this person? They've lost their, their job, their livelihood, their investment. What do you say to somebody like that? What do you say to somebody who's lost their home and has no place to go? What do you say to people that have lost absolutely everything? What words can you use? Sometimes the only message is standing in a circle and singing Amazing Grace. Because that's all you got. What do you say to those people? Alan Hirsch, who was an author and a mission leader and a four-square partner, said this. He said, every Christian is a sent one. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. That's us, church. Every single day, we are sent. So can we keep our eyes open to what God has for us every single day? Look into the eyes of the cashier at the supermarket. Ask what their name is. See how they're doing. We can do that. We're sent to do that. And the last thing that God reminded me of was that the whole Bible goes together. Yeah, I should probably know that. But he reminded me that it's not just that passage. And maybe you do this too. You start reading a passage and you're so focused on that passage that you forget that there's stuff before it and there's stuff after it. So before I get into today's passage, I want to read what we read two weeks ago. Just a little part of it, right before we get to today's passage. So today we're in Luke 17, we're in verses 20 to 37, but today we're going to start with Luke 17, verses 12 through 19. And this should be on the screen as well, and this is what it says. And as they entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, sir, have mercy on us. So this is Jesus and his disciples, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And we learn that they're crying out. The raising of their voices would have been very difficult for a leper to do because of the leprosy. And sometimes it's hard for us too. 
Sometimes the weight of our past failures and mistakes and doubts and fears, that makes it hard for us to cry out too. Because we feel like we've got nothing left. You ever felt like that? You're so deflated, you don't even have enough breath to reach out and scream out and cry out to Jesus. But imagine, though, being a leper. You're an outcast and nobody wants you. And they haven't wanted you for a long time. In fact, they put you way off in the distance. They don't want to get anywhere near you. But what do they do? Look what happens when they do cry out. He looked at them and said, Go to the Jewish priest and show him that you are healed. And as they were going, their leprosy disappeared. I don't know if you noticed this, but their leprosy didn't disappear until they started going. I mean, if Jesus says you're healed, go show the priest, I would have said, no, still white. Nothing. But he said, go. And they took a step of faith and they went. And as they were going, their leprosy disappeared. One of them came back to Jesus shouting, glory to God, I'm healed. He fell flat on the ground in front of Jesus, face down in the dust, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a despised Samaritan. And we were reminded that Samaritans and Jews, they didn't get along very well at all. They hated each other. But I imagine leprosy is a pretty good level playing field. I imagine it evens things out quite a bit. Then Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the nine? Does only this foreigner return to give glory to God? And Jesus said, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. Or stand up and go, your faith has saved you. And so we learn that it's not just a physical healing, it's a spiritual healing as well. So keep that in mind as we go into today's passage. This man humbly coming to Jesus with faith and thanksgiving. Keep in mind that with faith he is saved. Keep the whole encounter with Jesus in mind as we come to today's passage. And I would describe today's passage as God's message of declaration and preparation. So here it is. I'm going to read it first in all its entirety. Now he was questioned by the Pharisees as to whether, as to when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will soon, when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not leave, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the Son of Man. People will be eating, they will be drinking, they were marrying, and they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered his ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day that Lot left Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who will be on the housetop with his goods in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever strives to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will save it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in the bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. There will be two women grinding in the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. 
One will be taken and the other will be left. And responding, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. Sounds pretty ominous. Let's break it down. So verse 20. Now he was questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming. And he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. Some of your translations say that he was asked. Some of your translations say that he was questioned by the Pharisees. The King James Version says that, he, that they demanded of him an answer. And the Message Bible says that he was grilled by the Pharisees. However you put it, it wasn't a pleasant exchange. It wasn't a do you think it's going to rain this afternoon kind of a question. They were pointedly asking him this question. The Greek word for this question, ask, or this word ask, is actually the, the, the Greek word, it's pronounced eperotaho, eperotaho, and it means to interrogate. But it's even more than that. It means to interrogate from a point of strong standing. In other words, I know the answer, and you don't. I crossed the border once into Canada, and as I was going in there, they asked me if I had a concealed carry permit. They know I had a concealed carry permit. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked me that question. They were coming at me from a perspective of, they knew the answer already. What's this guy going to say? And from there, they started to ask me questions about that, that they may not have known the answer to, but they knew already where I was coming from. So the Pharisees are in the same way, only the Pharisees don't really know. They just think they know. They're coming at it from this perspective like, we know more than you do. So give us this answer. So the first thing we see is that they don't know who Jesus is. They think they know, and it's amazing that they don't know. In fact, it's astounding that they don't know. We've just had this healing of the ten lepers, and we can go back further than that. We can see healing after healing before that, that they've witnessed themselves. They've heard him, they've seen him heal, they've heard him speak, but they don't know who he is. They have no idea who he is. When I was eight years old, my dad took me to a baseball game. It was a Tuesday. He took me out of school. We lived in Virginia. He took me to see the Washington Senators play. Not the Nationals, the Senators. And the Washington Senators were playing the New York Yankees. And Mickey Mantle was my guy, so I was so excited to go. And my dad got box seats. Either that or he bought the cheap seats and we just sat there, which, now that I think about it, probably was my dad. (laughs) So we sat in the box seats, and we were there early. And about five or six rows ahead of us, there were a bunch of guys talking. And you could tell one guy was the center of attention. But about, about five or six or seven guys talking, one guy's the center of attention. And my dad says, do you see that guy down there in the brown coat? And I said, yeah. And he said, go ask him for his autograph. Okay. So I grab my pen and paper, and I go down the steps, and I probably interrupted their conversation. And I said, excuse me, can I have your autograph, please? And the guy took the pen and paper, and he started to sign, and then he stopped. And he looked up at me with a very stoic face. And he said, you have no idea who I am, do you? And eight-year-old me says, I have no idea. 
And this guy's face went from straight stoic to uproarious laughter, and so did everybody else. They just fell out of their chairs laughing because I had no idea who they were. Now, maybe nobody you ever heard of, because I'm old, but his name was Joe Garagiola. Anybody? Anybody? One, two, all right, all right, thank you. A couple of people know. Joe Garagiola, he was a former baseball player. He wasn't great. In fact, he said, I spent my whole baseball career going through my, my, my career as the player to be named later. But he went from being a baseball player to being an announcer, and he actually ended up as on the Today Show. So that's who he was. But I had no idea who this guy was. But it's amazing that they don't know who Jesus is, because they should. They've seen him every single day. So the Pharisees don't know who Jesus is, but he knew who they were. And you may not know who Jesus is, but he knows who you are. And if you don't know who he is, today's a great day to meet him because he loves you and he would love to have a relationship with you. And he knows everything about you. So don't let today pass. There are people here who would love to talk with you about that after service. And the second thing that I gathered from this verse was that the Pharisees are asking Jesus about this kingdom of God and when it's coming. Why would they ask him that? They ask him that because they have their own idea of what this kingdom of God is all about. You see, they think it's going to be a return to the political and military power and might that's going to overthrow the Romans. They think that they're going to return to the glory days of King David. And they think they're going to be at the top of the list when that happens. But they're asking Jesus about this whole kingdom of God thing. And they're looking at Jesus, and they're not seeing any military power. And they're not seeing any political clout. They're just seeing a guy with a bunch of ragtag people following him around the countryside. That's all they see. And I thought about that. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Isn't that the same way that the devil looks at us? That the devil speaks to us? Doesn't he say the same thing? Where is your God? Who are you to think that you could possibly restore that relationship? Who are you to think that God is ever going to come through for you with your finances? What makes you possibly think anybody would want to be with you? Isn't that the way he speaks to us? And in the limitations of this world, he might be right. But he doesn't know who you are. He doesn't know that you're a child of God. He doesn't know that you're a chosen child of God. He doesn't know that you're a co-heir with Christ. He doesn't know who your daddy is. He doesn't know. My life passage is from the book of Micah. And I've shared this before because I love this passage so much. But God gave it to me in my darkness. and God gave it to me when, when the enemy was speaking to me like that. And I'm sitting in my darkness, and I'm wallowing in my sin and my failure. And the enemy actually says to me, where is your God? Where is he? This is what the whole verse says. It says, do not stand over me and mock me, my enemy. For though I have fallen, I shall rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against them, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case 
and establishes my right. Then he will bring me out into the light. There my enemy will see me. The one who said to me, where is the Lord your God? Even now you are trampled like mud in the streets. And I love that. Even now, even in my darkness, Christ is victorious. Even in your darkness, even in your hard times, God is still the victor. God will not let you down. Through Christ, we're already victorious. Let's live life like that. Let's live life in the kingdom. Because that's what we're part of. We're part of God's kingdom. We can't be defeated. We've already won. Let's live like that and let's take that attitude out there. And let's share that with other people. So then this is how Jesus answers the Pharisees. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In Matthew 12, we read that Jesus enters the synagogue. A man with a withered hand was there. In order to accuse Jesus, they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied, if one of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored to full use, just like the other. Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. Pharisees don't believe it and call Jesus a sinner for healing on the Sabbath. They brought the young man in again for a second round of questioning. And his answer about Jesus being a sinner was so sincere. Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. So behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In Luke 11, the Pharisees had accused Jesus of casting out demons by demonic power. And Jesus responds with this. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the finger of God has come upon you. Behold, church, the kingdom of God is in your midst. What Jesus was telling the Pharisees was that the kingdom had already begun, right under their noses. Jesus was ruling in the hearts of people, and the king himself was standing among them, although the Pharisees were oblivious to that. Jesus was telling the Pharisees that he brought the kingdom of God to earth. Jesus' presence in their midst gave them a taste of what this kingdom life is like. And they were all attested to by the miracles performed and that the Pharisees had seen for themselves. So behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The question is, is Jesus the king of your life or are you? If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Kelly Putnam put it so good two weeks ago, and if you haven't heard that message from Kelly and Pastor Dan, go back and listen to it, because it's fabulous. But this is what Kelly said. She said, we live in a part of the world where it's easy to believe that God lives in a building. We've seen it this year with buildings being closed. People lose their minds. God doesn't reside in a building. He's in us. We're the church. And after speaking to the Pharisees, Jesus turns to his disciples, verse 22. And he says to his disciples, the days will come when you long to see one of the days of the sons of man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not leave and do not run after them. 
For just like lightning, when it flashes in one part of the sky and shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So Jesus is telling his disciples, and he's telling us today, what will happen when he comes back to establish the kingdom of God here. First there will be confusion. We'll be told that Jesus is over here or he's over there. And I've already seen some of this. Maybe you have too. Some guys in Florida doing these incredible miracles. We've heard, we've seen all that. And his second coming won't be a local event. Don't be fooled. A preacher will not stand up on TV and tell you exactly when it's going to happen. You won't find him on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever the latest thing is. You're not going to get announced there. You're going to know. Everyone's going to know. You won't miss out because you're in the wrong time zone. We're all going to know. We're all going to find out. Everyone will know, even those who have dismissed God. They're going to know. This is what it says in the message translation, Romans 1. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as much can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds that whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. Sounds a lot like today, doesn't it? Verse 26, And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were being given in marriage until the day Noah entered his ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, and they were building. But on the day that Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Life's going to go on like any other day when Jesus returns. Don't fall under that illusion that you know or that somebody else knows exactly when it's going to happen. Nobody knows the date or the time. People will be going about their daily lives. They'll be as surprised as they were in Noah's day when the rain came and the floods came. They'll be as shocked as they were in the days of Lot with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't know when Jesus is coming. We only know that he is coming. And he may come today. We don't know. Think about that. If he does come today, how important is that thing you have to do after church? He may come tomorrow. And if he does, why are we so anxious about tomorrow? We don't know when he's coming. We only know that he is coming. And the bottom line is this. We need to live every day like he is. Verse 31. On that day, the one who will be on the housetop with his goods in the house must not go down and take them out. And likewise, the one in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever strives to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken, and the other will be left. 
There will be two women grinding in the same place. One will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other will be left. And responding, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, the vultures will be gathered. How many people are wandering through life thinking that they don't need God, that they're basically good people, that they're basically a good person? That's the way it was in the days of Noah and the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. In college, we used to sing that song, and if I was Pastor Dan or Braden, I would sing this song. But uh, I'm not singers like either one of them. But, but it was, I wish we'd all been ready, is the name of the song. And it says, a man and wife asleep in bed. She hears a voice. She hears a noise. She turns her head. He's gone. I wish we'd all been ready. Two men standing in a field. One turns around, the other's gone. The other's standing still. I wish we'd all been ready. We need to be ready, church. In early Jewish literature from the 3rd and 4th century, we read about Sodom and Gomorrah. And they write about the fact that anybody who gave a piece of bread to a poor person or offered aid to a poor person was to be executed. And that was considered normal. In fact, the story goes that Lot's daughter used to give bread every day at the well to the poor people when she gathered water. And for that, they executed her, or tried to execute her. And it's her cry that went to God. And that's when God sent his angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But it does give you an idea of the type of, of country they were living in at the time. And remember Lot's wife? If you're trying to memorize your first Bible verse, there's a good one for you. Remember Lot's wife. On leaving the city and told not to look back, she looked back and was destroyed. What would you look back for? What's so precious to you in this earthly world that you would look back for it? Jesus tells us in John 15, if you find the godless world is hating you, remember God it start hating me. If you lived in the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. But since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. When I was in high school, I used to go to a young life group. And I loved it. And I remember all the people there. I remember all the leaders there. But I only remember one lesson. And it's a lesson that stuck with me, even to this day. The leader folded up a paper airplane and they, they floated it across the room. And it floated for a while and landed. And he went over and he picked it up and he threw it again and it went over somewhere else and it landed. And he picked it up and did that two more times. And then he said this, this is how most people live their lives. They float through life trying to plug into something that's going to bring them satisfaction. But they never ever find it because they're just floating through life with no purpose. And then he said, how about you? So how about you? Are we living our life with purpose? What would you change in your life right now if you knew Jesus was coming back in six months? If you knew for certain? How would your life change? What would you do differently? Who would you seek to be reconciled with? 
Who would you pray for? Who would you share the gospel with? What would you change in your life right now if you knew his coming was only six months away? And finally, what makes you so sure he's not? If you'd like prayer after service, if you'd like to talk, I would love to talk with you. I would love to pray with you. We'll have other people up here as well. Just don't leave today the same as you came in. Don't leave today without that sense of mission, without that sense of purpose, going out there to touch lives and change lives and bring the message of Christ to people. So can I pray with you as I close? Father God, I just want to thank you, Lord, for who you are. I want to thank you, Lord, for your word today, Lord. I want to thank you, Father God, that though we may fail you time and time and time again, Lord, you never fail us. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, Lord. And it's your heart that everyone would be saved. It's your heart that everyone would know you and have a relationship with you. So so no matter where we are, Father God, we know that we can come back to you. Lord, we just want to give you praise. We just want to give you glory. We just want you to know, Lord, Father God, that, that we don't have to come to you perfect, that you take us just like we are. So we come to you, Lord, like those ten lepers, Lord, we just come as the one who came back and fell at his knees at your feet. He wasn't perfect, but he knew the one to thank, and he knew the one to praise. So, Lord, we praise you this morning. We thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.